Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking with Grayson Milborn, who is the Security Intelligence Director at OpenText. And we're going to be talking to Grayson about some new research about the current threat landscape. And in fact, I think the title of the research is the 2023 Open Text Cybersecurity Threat Report. We're going to be talking about the findings and some of the recommendations based upon that report. But before we do that, I want to say hi to Grayson. Grayson, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well, Mark. Um, and uh, yeah, glad to be here. Uh, so I'm part of OpenText Cybersecurity. And so that's a new division within OpenText that incorporates uh, all of the cybersecurity offerings uh, that the company has uh, put together over several acquisitions over the past several years. So um, what's cool is uh, th this threat report is something that um, I've actually been uh, the, the, the lead data generator. <laughs> um, I then thankfully work with the team to help me uh, flush out and turn metrics into uh, a meaningful text. Um, but I believe this is my eighth year in generating this report. And so it's really been kind of cool to, to look back through time and see how uh, we've been able to improve on the data that we collect to, to provide more meaningful information um, and also just the trends and seeing how some areas are improving, other areas remain uh, persistent problems. And, and unfortunately, in some cases, we also see uh, the problem continues to get worse. Yeah. So before we talk about those those problems, maybe you can talk a little bit about the methodology behind um, this research and, you know, you yeah. mentioned that you were involved with helping collect the data and curate it. Um, just yep. talk a little bit about that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think that's actually a great thing to start with because there's a lot of different threat reports out in the market and they each have like their own take. And, and one of the things that's unique with our report is that it's really a direct reflection of our own customer environments and the experiences that they've had with threats that they face. Um, and just by the architecture of our product, um, we collect telemetry about all file encounters, all websites. Um, and so what's great is we kind of get that real world picture for you know, how are threats effective at uh, circumventing uh, the layer defenses that, or just defenses in general that um, that companies put up to, tr to try to thwart these things. Uh, and so it gives a, a, real, a real accurate, at least through the eyes of our customers, um, perspective of, of the trends and the, um, the threats that they face. Well, in terms of numbers of organizations that uh, the research covered, can you give me some insights? Yeah, on that? absolutely. So the data, like, so it's broken into a couple of different um, categories. But when we think about malware, the malware information comes from our endpoint customer base, which is about 10 million consumer customers and about 10 million endpoints in the uh, SMB space. Um, and so from the threat research perspective, we combine all of this data. But from the analytics perspective, uh, it's nice to separate it out. And there are definite clear differences and trends that we see for example, with like infection rate, not too surprising, but uh, consumer PCs see uh, almost twice the infection rate that um, business PCs see. Um, not that surprising, right? Um, most business PCs have additional layers of security. People use those PCs for that one purpose. Um, whereas our personal PCs, our kids use them. Um, we use them for non-work purposes. Um, there's just a higher chance of, of encountering an infection, um, which I think is meaningful because especially in this post-pandemic work dynamic, um, a lot of people are working remote either completely or, you know, I now work in the office a couple days a week, um, but still, you know, there's a lot of mixed device usage going on. And um, so it just shows the importance of having managed devices for, for systems that connect to corporate resources. So just to clarify, um, the number of it attacks 
has not is not double for uh, individually owned or personal devices. It's the actual successful, uh, I guess, malware attacks. The the ones that <clears throat> and the reason is is because people what they don't have their AV. Yeah, they they go or... to websites they might not go to, and they they handle their computer. They they might not keep things up to date. You know, patch management's a really critical uh, component to successful cybersecurity defenses. Um, you know, it's always frustrating when I do uh, IT work for my mom and I see, you know, the, the red update button in the upper right corner of Chrome. And I'm like, you need to click that button, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, I don't know why it doesn't auto-update. It really should. Um, but, you know, so there's a lot of different things like that. So, you know, whereas uh, in the corporate environment, they're much better at <clears throat> keeping certain things up to date. Um, but, you know, the, the rate of infection is literally twice. And, and that's really just calculated by the number of threats that we um, prevent um, or detect within those different groups, um, whether it's consumer or business. Okay, excellent. Um, I, I did notice in the in the research that one of the notable trends was a significant increase in concealing the location of URLs hosting malware in phishing sites. Yeah. Explain what that means. What that means, you... right. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, so on the web side of things, it's a little bit more dynamic. And so what I mentioned before, the you know the, the file-based data comes directly from our customers. The web-based data um, really comes from our customers and also a lot of proactive discovery. And whenever we discover something that is uh, malicious, whether that's a, a, a malicious URL um, or perhaps an IP address that sits behind that, <clears throat> um, we want to identify the hosting location. And, and there's just benefit for us to understand this. Um, it's, it's data we expose to our customers, so um, they can act on it um, depending on how they may have integrated BrightCloud side of the technology, which was really more of our, our web-based threat intelligence. Um, <clears throat> but from a, a, an interesting to report on perspective, uh, it's, it's been you know, uh, fascinating to track where malware hosting takes place. And, mm -hmm. and what we also know is that there is a lot of ability to uh, mask that location. So either using a proxy network or using Tor, um, you know, it, we don't have an accurate way to determine the actual origin of the attack. And so what we've seen, unfortunately, is an increase in this use of masking. And you know, we've always seen it um, very high levels of, of, of location masking um, when it comes to malware that uh, are, is hosted at a URL. So like where, where malware is hiding on the internet by the actual URL that points to it. Um, but we used to see much less of this um, within phishing pages. And, and phishing often, um, you know, the goal is not to have the website blocked. And if it's a suspicious site, like a Chase login page that's being hosted in India, perhaps somebody's like, wait a second, that doesn't, you know, it doesn't pass like the really low bar of, of suspicion. Um, so we've just seen an increase in overall masking, um, which to me says it's becoming easier. Um, and particularly, we saw that increase within phishing URLs. Um, and really, there's been a pretty significant development, like just there's constant development going on within phishing kit activities. So um, similar to like ransomware as a service, we see similar um, phishing kits as a service. Well, it's less of a service. You purchase the kit and it has um, you know the flexibility to provide some of these baked in um, evasive, evasive techniques, um, just lowering the bar basically to allow it to happen. And when you say you're seeing these, where and how are you seeing them? Well, so we do a lot of proactive research. Um, GitHub is a surprising area to uh, to see where certain different tools are are posted, and so some of it begins there. But uh, we also track and monitor uh, activities within dark web uh, um, hacker forums and, and where these things are posted. Um, and, and thankfully, there's also a fantastic open community and a lot of uh, great research that's done by uh, security practitioners from you know all around the industry, really. Um, 
and so following those trends um, aligns with the data that we see. And so, you know, it, you know, one of the challenges with the reporting tier is that, you know, it, it starts off by collecting the metrics and then it's like, okay, well, what really sticks out and why is it different? And okay, well, this is really different from last year. Um, why? And why mm -hmm. is never just as simple as, oh, you know, this one factor. Um, it, it's always a... a a confluence of things that um, that that really end up driving these changes, uh, and in the report, we really try our best to to shed light on what we think is impactful. Mm -hmm. um, and so, in that case, you know, these are the conclusions we've come to. Excellent. So, maybe just to kind of break it down in, in more simplistic, what would the end user, you know, what should they be looking out for in the case of these, you know, cons the concealment of location URLs and, and you know, masking of, of phishing campaigns? So I, I don't know that like end users really need to take that into too much context for changing their behaviors. I think it's it's more of a an indicator that um, evasion is a top priority for threat actors and that um, we're increasingly seeing them take steps to um, to be harder to detect. Um, I think masking URL hosting makes it more challenging to say, for example, just block certain low reputation uh, requests from a certain geography. Um, and so, you know, by eliminating that capability, uh, you then are relying on on other levels of indication. Um, so, you know, I mean, uh, to me, it's sort of an interesting stat. It, it, it did surprise me because historically, especially for phishing, um, we saw, a, a, you know, a, a very considerable increase year over year in the number of phishing URLs that had their, their geo IP masked. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's what I think the reasons for it are. But as far as you know, what what people need to do different, I think, um, you know, there, there's not quite the overlap there. Um, I think, you know, what I take away, I think a bit more is just the you know the impacts of of layered defense. And mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that we report on is is the overall just infection uh, rate amongst our customer base. And uh, what we've seen is is several years of decline. And decline is not necessarily a bad thing, right? That that's exactly what we want to see. Um, mm -hmm. But people will ask, well, like, is the problem getting better? And unfortunately, this is where it's you know part of our data is reflective of our customers. And and what we've advocated to our customers is a, a strategy of layered defenses. And and what our our data actually shows us is that the customers of ours that are embarking on a layered approach see far fewer threats. And so mm -hmm. our are the biggest impact to the decline in malware encounter rates are improvements in our customers' utilization of a layered security approach. And so just for example of that, um, one of the solutions that's really effective, um, it, it, it's more than just <clears throat> pure efficacy, but uh, DNS, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, DNS has been around since the beginning of the internet and was not really designed with uh, cybersecurity threats in mind. Um, and so, you know, as, as the address book for for, for name resolution, um, <clears throat> it's um, you know it's something that that deserves security, and so we we've delivered a product called Secure DNS that basically privatizes your DNS, um, so it does DNS lookups over HTTPS instead of in clear text. Um, but the other benefit to that is that we control that address book, and so you know in a case that um, a, a user maybe encounters uh, some new unknown malware that the endpoint say doesn't detect. Um, there's a chance that our, our threat intelligence on the on the bright cloud side of things for the web <clears throat> is aware um, of that C2 address. And so maybe you have a new dropper, it reaches out and we say, oh, no, 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 we're not going to give you back that the address that you're looking for. We're going to block that. And so in fact, when we look at customers of ours who use both of our endpoint and our DNS protection solution, uh, they see 
30% fewer infections. Um, and so as more of our customers use both of our solutions, you know, that's also dragging down our, our encounter rate with threats, um, which is the goal, right? Like, I think that that's great. Is it, is it, the you know the 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 scary um you know the problems getting worse metric no but there are certainly those other examples and and particularly when we look at ransomware which is you know continues to be the number one threat facing especially small to medium sized businesses that um you know might not survive having to pay a 100,000 200,000 dollar ransom you know that <clears throat> or the disruption of the attack uh, in many cases might be enough to take them out of business entirely. Um, and and what our data shows over the last year is that um, you know there was a for most of the year a downward trend in the average size of a business that was targeted by ransomware. Um, and, and this is at bad odds with a, a survey we did last year, looking at um, <clears throat> um, we did this with IDC, but looking at over 1,100 businesses uh, in the SMB space, <clears throat> and excuse me, <clears throat> and, and looking at their uh, perception of risk. And what you know, the two of the stats that really stuck out is is 60% of them had admitted to having an encounter with ransomware in the last year, which is a really alarming number. And then 67% said they didn't think or they weren't sure if they were a target. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> most of you are encountering this problem, but even more of you don't think you're or not sure you're a target. Um, and, and so this is because people really think and they hear about ransomware, um, you know, at the very high end, the outlier side of things that actually gets media attention. But without the media attention, a lot of these average consumers and small business owners, you know, they don't perceive the risk. They think that they're way under the radar and that why is somebody going to want to, you know, break into my mechanic shop that has 12 employees? You know, why are they going to want to do that? Well, you have a business and you have 12 employees and your layers of security are probably less robust or, or maybe lacking. Um, and, and, you know, they, they we see a, a vast majority of, of ransomware attacks targeting um, smaller and smaller businesses. Um, and at the same time, the costs are going up. And so what mm -hmm. we saw by the end of this last year was that the, the median ransomware payment was over $200,000. And, you know, you hear a lot about these million dollar plus ones. Okay, that's great. But if, if you're a very small business, uh, $200,000 is a very significant uh, chunk of change. Um, and more frustrating is, uh, I, this isn't from our data, but I read one uh, earlier this week that said uh, something like 84% of people are paying, you know? And, and so this is also at odds with something wow. the FBI where, released. Where did you get that, that me, information? Um, yeah, hold on. I will, if you give me just a So you're saying crime pays. Pay. <laughs> and and so, so here's like why I'm not surprised because there's, there's a lot of shame that goes into um, uh, it, into, admitting that you got hit. Admitting that you got hit, having to notify your customers. Um, you know, a lot of times today, uh, like over 84% of the time, they steal your data as well. And we're even seeing some operations no longer encrypt, just steal and then threaten the fines and the you know the punishment for leaking that data. Um, but but the FBI last year also released that they uh, they said that they had a third fewer people reach out to them claiming they need help because of a ransomware attack. And so from the FBI's, you know, from CISA and, and their collaboration, they saw a 33% decrease. But wait a second, like, is that a really, is it, is it a decrease or is it people aren't coming forward and admitting the problem? And, right. Which is a problem because if, you know, the less people come forward, the less that these, you know, capable organizations that can actually um, make an impact and take down groups like Hive, um, they need to understand who to go after. And the less that uh, companies are forthcoming with attribution information, the less uh, clear of a picture 
um, government agencies and multinational collaborative efforts have at identifying and disrupting the most damaging cybercrime rings, so to speak. Well, and another potential issue is depending on what industry you're in and what and where you're located geographically, you may be required. You may be um, required to report any breaches. And you know, sometimes the, the you know, I think with GDPR, it's seventy two hours. Yeah. Um, so if you just sit on that information and you've paid off, and that you know, you're, you could be getting trouble from both sides. This which is, would be, yeah. and, and see, this is why GDPR is sort of uh, a double-edged sword. And, and while it had really good intentions, we see um, these, you know, Conti leaks or uh, the, most of the major ransomware as a service organizations have these sites where they literally shame those vendors. And as early parts of the, uh, the negotiations and the manipulation process, they, you know, they, they remind you that you're going to have this fine. Um, and so, so there is a lot of motivation not to acknowledge the problem and to try mm -hmm. to sweep it under the rug. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. Like different verticals absolutely see different problems with this. And, um, you know, that's something else we actually do report on in the, in the annual threat report. Um, it's an optional field. About 40% of our customers choose to fill out one of 20 or so different verticals. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, as you would expect, manufacturing has been the number one. They're, you know, 50 plus percent over the average um, year over year for the last several years. Um, why, why is that? Well, it's, it's because it's very disruptive. And so hitting manufacturing, um, you impact both up and down stream supply chains are also impacted by your disruption. And so they know that they have a higher chance. And, and that's part of it. The other piece of it is that manufacturing, in a lot of cases, uh, uses older and out-of-date systems that are more expensive to upgrade and, and keep current. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think this is also a, a significant problem within the industrial control space, um, You know, something that's being addressed. But um, you know, what our data shows is that the, these are top targets. Um, and then following that is also uh, managed services. And so... Uh, you know, MSPs, for example, um, people who have access to lots of other customer networks. Well, geez, they're a great one to compromise. Um, and so, you know, they also had uh, considerably higher than the average infection rates uh, when okay. we looked at verticals. So if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, the, the, I guess, main point of the discussion so far is that, you know, the, the threat landscape hasn't necessarily changed radically in one direction or the other. Um, the actual number or, you know, of threats, depending on the type of threat, may have gone up or slightly down. But the big delta is between companies or organizations that have implemented some type of multi-layered defense versus individuals who just typically do their, you know, own consumer thing, that yep. there is a big gap. And I think you, you said it was double or three times. Yeah, it was, the, it was, yeah. it's, it's a slightly actually just under double um, the infection rate within the consumer environment than it is within the business environment. So, you know, that, that to me tells me to be very mindful of remote employees and, <clears throat> and insisting on using managed devices for uh, access to corporate information. Um, you know, that, that's a really big one. Uh, you know, certainly the layered defenses is, is something that um, we advocate for. Um, security in depth is a, is a really great solution. Uh, we, we, we have a, we like to call it cyber resilience, basically, um, using zero trust principles. And, and cyber resilience is really a, a six-step framework that um, starts with like an identification. So you need to know what you need to protect. Um, this isn't just your data. This is also individuals, um, you, under, you know, points of failure. Um, it's, a, it's a holistic exercise. It's not entirely just cybersecurity. It's, it's resilience for your business. And so 
you know, identifying your assets and, and what's important that needs to be protected. Step two is, is protect those uh, and understanding the differences. So, you know, having data backup, having, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, endpoint security, um, account, your account access management, uh, patch management, you know, protecting your environment. And then there's like the detection stage. And so despite our best efforts to protect, having the ability to um, identify if something has gone amiss, like being able to understand if an account has been compromised, is you know something uh, is abnormal, um, and then the ability to uh, respond. And so I think response is really where a lot of companies fall short. Uh, you know, having a response plan, a playbook mm -hmm. that you don't create on the fly, um, especially with ransomware, because the number one thing ransomware uh, actors also do is say, "Guess what? The price doubles in 24 hours." Right. You know, we're going to make the problem worse. And so you don't want to be scrambling when you have a, a time ticking money clock, uh, creating a plan for the first time. And this is why we do fire drills and we practice certain things that, you know, you don't expect it to happen. But if it does, you know, this is not the time to panic and run around um, and make the problem worse. Um, and so, you know, after uh, detection, there's response. And that's, I think, the, the, the postmortem there. It's like understanding you know, what happened, right? We had an incident, something got through, what could we have done better? How could we have improved our response plan? And, and the final piece of it is education. And so we always think that education is, you know, it's a, users are always responsible for the mistake. You know, somebody gets tricked into doing something, somebody inadvertently clicks on a link or opens an attachment they shouldn't have, um, you know, or gets duped into thinking the person they're talking to is someone they're not. Um, you know, humans are the ones who are erroneous and lead to these problems in the vast majority of cases, right? Um, and so ha driving awareness, I think, is really important. Um, you know, it's not something that's mandated like PCI DSS or HIPAA, or there's a lot of other mandated regulatory compliance trainings that um, don't exist, and I think they should for cybersecurity. Um, but again, when we look at, uh, for example, customers of ours who who use security awareness training, um, which which we offer that covers a, a breadth of things and allows you to uh, set out uh, uh, simulated attacks, and so you can understand are your users actually listening, or are they still just clicking on 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 cleverly crafted phishing emails? Um, but the people who use a combination of security awareness training, DNS protection, um, and endpoint see 40% fewer threats than our customers who only see uh, or only use endpoint. Um, so to me, the data speaks for itself. Um, and what I'm really excited about really is open tech cybersecurity. And, and what has changed in our portfolio over the past couple of years is open tech has been sort of on a buying spree, um, which isn't bad. They really filled out uh, a wide breadth of capability within their cybersecurity portfolio. Uh, and uh, last year, they acquired a, an email security vendor called Zix. And, and Zix is awesome because they provide us with a lot of great telemetry about email threat security. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and what we've sort of been gapped on previously is having information about how email incorporates into the delivery of threats. And, and typically, this is either through spear phishing, which is you know, a social engineering type of attack, or there's a lot of malware attachments. And one of the really cool findings from Zix data um, that we incorporated actually into our report last year um, was looking at a change Microsoft made to try to uh, prevent so much malware from being uh, sent via email using macros. And so basically they last March, I think, um, changed the policy for how Office, and of course you had to be using the latest version of Office. So if mm. you didn't update, you know, this this change didn't impact you. Um, but they, you know, when a file arrives on a PC, there are some hidden tags that tell the operating system where the file came from. Um, mm -hmm. And so anything that comes in via email is going to have like an internet tag. And basically they automatically strip macros off of files that came from the internet. 
because nobody is actually using macro technology for legitimate purpose um, and then also sending it across email, they realized. And so, um, you know, when we saw them enact that change, one of the most prolific botnets, uh, Emotet, which delivers malware this way, we watched the activity just completely drop off. Um, and then, of course, uh, they pivot <laughs> and attachment types went from being uh, Excel uh, and Word documents with macros um, to these like larger attack chains. And so they replaced that with something that's a, an HTML attachment that has mm -hmm. that basically is a, a download link to a zip. You then download the zip. Um, oftentimes, like the email will have the password for the zip. So you can't just extract the zip. You have to know what the password is from the email because, again, they're like, hey, this is an important thing. Here's your special password. Um, you then unzip <laughs> the file. And in that is an ISO. And, and, and Windows 10 and beyond will actually automatically mount that ISO as a, as a virtual drive. And, and so then within that is a, a shortcut to launch a file that is either um, a masked file, so it'll say it's a PDF, but it's actually a, an executable. And you've just then convinced the user to, through going through like six or different steps or so, to just willingly running the malware that was contained in a password-protected zip file. And so I just find it really interesting to see these you know, pivots and attack. But, you know, for six or seven months after that change by Microsoft, we saw like a very significant drop off in mm -hmm. the uh, Zix data that showed where um, <clears throat> uh, malicious emails uh, were responsible for, for malware distribution. So, um, you know, yeah. kind of cool data. Very much. Uh, you know, you, you've talked about multi-layered defense is there an ideal number or configuration of layers? And, and maybe mm. you can see, you know, from where you sit, these are the must-haves or these, ha these, these are the kind of ideal combination. These yeah. work together. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think there's a couple of critical ones. I think um, every business needs a layer of endpoint security that includes browser-based protection because so much... So much of the risk uh, originates through the browser, and so that's either you know people clicking on a link in an email, it opens the browser, it takes you somewhere, uh, you know, search engine um, spidering or SEO um, <clears throat> by malicious actors is really effective, and so you know, we still see this that uh, a major news story breaks, people go to Google and they search for it, and within those top 20 links or something, there will always be something that's malicious, and. Mm -hmm. So I think you know browser-based URL protection is really critical. Um, the other one is backup. You know you cannot operate today with having without having a backup solution in place, and uh, you know that can be the difference between going out of business from a ransomware attack and being able to push back and you know maybe going through a painful process, but you know not spending two hundred thousand dollars or more um, recovering data that might be critical for your business to operate. So mm -hmm. you know I think. Those are critical. Um, beyond that, you know, I'm a big advocate of, of user education just because it's it's inexpensive and it's really effective. Um, and it's also it's like integrated nicely. And so depending, <clears throat> like for example, if you use the combination of our solutions and a user uh, visits a website that we would block, you can then have it, uh, you can have the user go through a quick little like 60 second training that's like, hey, you just ran into a malicious site, you know, like, right. thankfully, we stopped it, right? Damage averted. Yeah. But, you know, how did you get here? Uh, and, you know, that is, I think, the underpinning thing that's important to improve upon, because our data also shows this. And, you know, we don't have <clears throat> time to go through everything in the report. Um, and in fact, if I know RSA is next uh, week, and we'll be there um, in the South Hall at 654, I'll be giving a presentation actually on this report. We'll have the full report in print too, if you'd like to pick it up. Um, <clears throat> 
but um, you know, layer defenses are, are certainly a key. And as I was just mentioning before, right, you can integrate these things together so that you you know you improve the overall uh, education of users so they're more risk averse. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as, as somebody who's worked in IT for a long time. Um, I would much rather somebody reach out and say, hey, this looks suspicious. Should I open it? As opposed to, oh, crap, I opened this, and now I'm locked out of my computer. Exactly. They're very different reactions. So, When in doubt, slow down, pick up the phone, call somebody, confirm. I mean, you know. They're never going to be mad at you. I promise. You know, they're going to be like, thank you. And and I think it's a cultural thing, too. Like, we really try to, you know, push cybersecurity from a cultural perspective so that people understand the risk. Because really, I mean, one one simple user mistake can ultimately lead to the downfall of of a small business. And, um, you know, that's a terrible thing. And so... I was starting off in a, in a new role, um, sales related role. <clears throat> and, you know, when you first start off, you, you, you want to get a big win. And I received a purchase order for, it was, I think, $70,000 worth of, of uh, devices. And which at that point, you know, because typically the sales cycle is a little longer. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. <laughs> but then I started looking at the information and I was like, um, you know, before we ship anything, I'm going to, I'm going to call. And the number they had, uh, they, they, they'd done this well. They had somebody to pick up and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's our order. Da, da, da. But I, I went on and I was just, something didn't sit right. So I found, um, I actually searched the company online instead of taking the, the information off the PO, I found them online. And then I called the person through. And when I got through to him, he, first thing he said is it's a lie. Don't send them anything. <laughs> so them obviously, the, the, the guy <laughs> had been hammered. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it, and and it was it was amazing because this was really well done. Well done. I mean, it was it was a legit looking PO. All the information. It, the only thing that was weird was the de- yeah that was how I, I spotted it. The delivery address for the devices was different from the company ad uh, um, information that I found online, and in fact. It was a um, a place near the airport down in Portland, Oregon, <laughs> and it, it, that it was just kind of like weird. And when I when I called the number on the PO, they go, "Oh yeah, that's our project site," and I'm like, "Okay," mm. but it couldn't really tell me more. So my point is, you know, so most of the stuff is pretty obvious, but you never know. Man. Oh, I mean, they can the be phone. so clever. To your point, yeah. I mean, hey, in that seventy thousand dollars, have they gotten away with it? All of the time and effort for pulling. I mean, that's not a lot to go through to to pull. You yeah. know. A gig like that, and and I think that's the challenge and the thing when I you know people ask me about what does the future of cybersecurity look like and um, you know is it getting better and, and even though like you know for our customers who layers like we know layered security works it's we literally have data data to prove it um, but I think there's a larger challenge with the overall threat ecosystem and and what um, what software development has done and in the problem it's created and mm-hmm. and and how is that going to be fixed because you know, really cybersecurity is good, but when you have a vulnerability in a widely distributed piece of software like Microsoft Exchange or, you know, a browser, and, and we see these zero-day browser exploits um, fixed all the time, like zero-day drive-bys that, uh, you know, to, to me, it's like there has to be a better, um, you know, from the ground up. And again, it's unfortunately at odds with how the world seems to work and that, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm a small startup and I want to get my product out to market, um, you know, security is costly. It's time yeah. consuming. Yeah. So like, what do I want to do? Do I want to like seize the moment and, and, and succeed? 
uh, or do I want to be secure and maybe miss my opportunity? Um, and so you can guess which one wins out. Um, and, and this is why year over year, we see more and more like mass critical vulnerabilities, CVEs in the, in the 9.8 or above rate. Um, and that's tough because when that's the problem, you know, all of your security layers kind of go out the window. When it's right. like your security solution, that's the whole in. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's a challenge. And so I think, um, you know, some some things I think are going to improve this, um, like software bill of rights or SBOMs um, mm -hmm. and understanding, you know, like when we saw Log4J last year, um, around, I guess, a little bit before this time. I mean, that's a really devastating vulnerability. Um, Java is incorporated into so many different things that people don't even know. And so when I install some software and I want it to run inside of my environment, like I really need to know, is your software all of your own IP? Or is it including third-party libraries and other components that I need to be aware of so that when a CVE is released, I can more easily say, is this an impact to me or not? And so... Um, I think that can kind of help fix because I don't anticipate fixing the embedding cybersecurity from the beginning. In startups, it just I don't see it happening. Um, more mature software companies, I get it. Yeah, they can do this. Um, or, but will they? You know, again, it's cost and complexity. Um, but, but transparency, I think, is really important. Um, yeah. Hey, earlier you mentioned that um, GitHub was was hosting or serving as a repository for some of these, I think you said it was well, a phishing kit. For phishing kits, but they're, they're more like white hat. So they're, uh, they'll help you identify um, URLs that are associated with different um, branded phishing kits. Yeah, there's gotcha. actually a, a pretty thriving community on GitHub for, uh, for phishing discovery and activity. So okay. uh, I like the community approach because one of the other things I always gripe about is that uh, cybersecurity suffers from a lack of collaboration. Uh, we have all these for-profit companies thinking that they're going to solve the problem for all the customers. Um, and, and then we have cybercrime as a service and a, a collaborative uh, adversary that, that in many ways works together in a, a many uh, much more efficiently than um, than the security industry does with respect to, you know, sharing indicators of compromise, sharing threat intelligence, um, sharing techniques to be effective. Um, these are all sort of problems that we're all expected to solve as individual companies. And, you know, it's hard to be an army of a hundred little divisions fighting um, a problem that sees the benefit of collaboration. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the sharing of information is huge. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, you were talking about the threat landscape and, and you were talking about the, um, the complexity of software and, but if we go in the, another direction, you know, back to social engineering, one of the things that I think is probably going to be increasingly common is the use of AI, um, with voice simulation, because I mean, we're all being recorded all the time. Oh, yeah. our, our, our phone is spying on us, oh. whether you, I don't, you know, it doesn't even and, take more than like 10 seconds of hearing you talk for the model yeah. to emulate you. Well, yeah, like 10 and, seconds and, and, of audio. I mean, that's not it, hard to capture. That's pretty crazy. And um, so when I lived in, in Japan and Korea, one of the most common types of um, attacks, which was not cyber related at all, but was just people would be calling, you know, senior citizens saying and, and saying, Hey, I'm your grandson or we, or we have your grandson. Oh and yeah. If you don't pay. 
and um, and then they would put them on the phone and say, "Hey, please help me," you know. And if you're, you know, depending on what your cognitive state and condition at the time, you know, and how, so totally maybe one in ten, one in twenty would pay or whatever the number is. But it's just a kind of a numbers game. But those were very crude attempts, and you know, these things, um, these things are going to they're going to yeah. cause a, a lot more tr- trouble going forward. There's no question. I mean, I'm sure you've and and your listeners are familiar with. Uh, GPT and, and generative yeah. text, and, and and that's just on the text front of things. But you're absolutely right. I think the combination of, of that, the ability to rapidly consume all information about a specific individual based on their online available information, and then to you know rapidly craft and cater very convincing uh, messaging is is not a good thing. Um, you know, uh, you know, you're going to see this attack. Um, dating sites and social media sites and mm-hmm. the ability to create misinformation um, just goes up with this. And then, you know, to the attack side of it, um, yeah, like the voice, the voice-based deep fakes are a real concern because one of the ways that we've been advising to circumvent social engineering attacks that look to do basically like a email chain hijacking or, or that last moment swapping the account number Um you know, good ways to circumvent that is having two different mediums for communication. And so you might do part of the process via email, but the final part is done, um, you know, through some some other system. Or, you know, if I get an email, pick up the phone and, and call. <laughs> you know, if it's pick up the phone and call now, um, it's like it better be FaceTime <laughs> because right. the, the right. audio video deepfakes are actually still very difficult to do convincingly. Um, mm. But for how long, you know? Um, right. Um, but yeah, so well, it, it's gonna it's gonna keep us both busy and, and and the entire industry busy for a long time to come. So I... Yeah, I mean, the, the the thing that makes me happy is that um, you know, there's a lot of good success stories, and I think one of the challenges have having worked in cybersecurity for almost 20 years is that, um, boy, I've been told we didn't work before a lot. <laughs> Customers are are very quick to notice when when something didn't go right. You hear mm-hmm. about it, but you know. <laughs> When it works right, you don't hear about it, and and nothing happened, and that's the point. Um, and and I do know that, you know, we've definitely improved and helped and prevented um, far more than we have failed. And so, you know, despite the um, the problems still persisting, um, it, it's encouraging to see through true data. I'm a huge data driven guy, so you know, when I get to see actual data that proves, um, you know, our assumptions of of how layered security will have a positive impact. It, it makes me, it makes me feel like, you know, there is some hope still. So. Um, oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Hey, Grayson, um, really enjoyed the, uh, the conversation and Thanks, uh, yeah, like, thank you for sharing the re the, the research and, and good luck at uh, RSA next week. Yeah. 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 Again, like we have a booth at uh, the South Expo hall, six, five, four. And um, on Monday and Tuesday night, I will be giving a presentation that covers the threat report, um, go into a bit more detail. And of course we'll have the full report as well in case you, you want all of the detail. Awesome. Thanks so much, Grayson. Hey Mark, it's been a pleasure. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.